Goddag og velkommen til Langsomme Samtaler. Mit navn er Rune Lykkeberg. Jeg har i den her uge talt med forfatteren Mitu Sanyal, der i 2021 udgav romanen Identity, der er et ganske enestående stykke litteratur. Sanyal tager i romanen de kampe om race, identitet, køn, sprog og verdensbillede, der har fyldt meget i den vestlige opinion i de sidste 20 år, som har mobiliseret til frigørelse, som også har mobiliseret moralisme, som har skabt nye retfærdighedskampe og skabt utrolig stor forarvelse. Hun tager de kampe og gør dem til genstand for humor. De bliver til en kilde til morskab. Det gør Sanyal ikke for at gøre grin med identitetspolitikken eller for at gøre grin med dem, der er modstandere af identitetspolitikken. Det gør hun for at ophæve den moralisme og den meget hårde fordømmelse, der har præget hele diskussionen om det. Som en tysk anmelder skrev i sin anmeldelse af, af romanen, så er der ingen, der forlader Mithusanyals roman med helt det samme verdensbillede, som de gik ind i den med. Sanyal er selv datter af en mor fra Polen og en far fra Indien og vokset op i Tyskland. Hun har kæmpet gennem sin opvækst med at definere sig selv som inder. Hun synes ikke rigtigt, hun var indisk nok til at kunne sige, at hun var inder. Hun synes heller ikke, hun var tysk nok til at kunne sige, at hun var tysker. Så hun har kæmpet med at finde et sted, hvorfra hun kunne fortælle, hvem hun var og hvem hun er. Og det er jo ikke bare hendes personlige skæbne, det er en ganske almindelig skæbne for millioner af postmigranter i de vestlige samfund. Så romanen handler også om det. Hvad er den sande identitet, og hvornår kan du tillade dig at kalde dig noget, som du ikke helt føler, at du er? Skammen over ikke at være det nok, skammen over at være det for meget. Alt det, som er eksistentielle og politiske dramaer på én gang, bliver i identity til senere for et ekstremt dramatisk plot og senere for temmelig stor morskab. Romanens hovedperson er den unge indisk-polske studerende Nivedita, som hvis historie minder noget om, om Mitu Sanyals egen, som kommer på universitetet i Düsseldorf og derfor en ekstremt karismatisk underviser, der hedder Sarasvati. Sarasvati er skabt som guru på universitetet. Hun fremstilles som den type intellektuel mentor og eksistentiel vejleder. Rigtig mange studerende drømmer om at møde på universitetet, og hun udfolder hele den postkolonialistiske kulturkritik for de studerende. Hun udfolder de moderne, kritiske teorier, og hun gør det, som om hun selv er inder. Det er hendes udsigelsesposition som inder, der giver Sarasvati hendes autoritet og hendes legitimitet. Men tidligt i romanen bliver det afsløret, at Sarasvati er slet ikke inder oprindeligt. Sarasvati er almindelig tysker, der bare har valgt at blive inder. Det bliver til et kæmpe nederlag for Nivedita, at hende, som hun troede på, hende, der var hendes autoritet, hende, der var hendes forbillede i selvdannelsen som progressiv postkolonial inder i Tyskland, hun viser sig at være svindler. Men på den anden side rejser det også spørgsmålet om, at hvis Sarasvati har haft den ultimative kapital, nemlig at være hvid, og hvis hun så har valgt at opgive den kapital, hvorfor er hun så en sønder og ikke en held? Eller hvis det er sådan, at det at være hvid ikke altid er en kapital, men man faktisk også kan opnå fordel ved at være ikke hvid i nogen bestemte sammenhæng, hvad siger det så om hele vidhedsdiskussionen? 
Det spørgsmål, der bliver stillet, og som romanen revolverer omkring, de bliver i sagens natur ikke besvaret. Men Tanja og jeg forsøger her i den samtale, der følger, at bevæge os rundt omkring de spørgsmål, romanen rejser, og hun leverer en hel del svar på nogle af dem. God fornøjelse. Well, thank you so much for taking your time. Pleasure. Wonderful. And you know that your book just came out in Danish? Yes. No, but let me first say, I think it's an absolutely wonderful book. It's a liberating book to read, and I haven't seen anything in this discourse that opened up for ambivalences, seeing things from other points of view, and really showed the difference between the, the universalities of the theories and the positions and the concrete places and the generations. I think it's just a unique achievement, this book, also because it works as a piece of literature, really. Ah, lovely. So now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> But when I when I read the book, and I didn't read your other books, I should I, sh I should say it's very obvious that you are very very familiar with many of these post-colonial theories and and and, and gender studies. It's uh, that you really know these theories to an extent where you can use them in piece of literature. Um. Yes. But <laughs> so that's what I thought when I started writing. No, I did loads and loads of research. So I, I in my studies, I studied in the 90s. We didn't have anything like postcode literature, but we did read like Bell Hooks and Gatti Chakrati Spivak and Omi Baba and all this. And then I forgot about all of that. And then I reread a lot for this book. It was, um, I have had massive piles of books in my bedroom. So this is not... Um, <laughs> This didn't just come like this. <laughs> so so this was done because I, I had the feeling that you actually were working with this series for a long time. Then you decided to write a book, but there was more the other way around. Um, well, yes and no. Um, I had been working with them back in the 90s. And then because the discourse in Germany was just not about race. So we didn't talk about race. Race was kind of... but. but There are no human races, we can't talk about race. Yeah, that's true, but we've got to talk about race and we've got to look at this. And only about, I always say five years ago, but I've been saying five years ago now for three years, so maybe 10 years ago. In Germany, we started talking about all of these things again. So it was like waking up and, and revisiting all this. So I have been in this, in these kind of um, And also quite a lot of the people who donated tweets. So most of the tweets were donated. Um, I knew them personally, but quite a lot of them, I, I just wrote to them on the internet and said, I follow you. Would you be so nice and, and donate a tweet to my book? The book hasn't been written yet. You don't know me, but please write a tweet for me. <laughs> It's obvious in the book also that I pronounce the name Nive, Nivedita. Nivedita. Is that the right pronunciation of? Um, well, that's the thing. Uh, Nivedita is pronounced Nivedita in Germany, but in India she would be pronounced Nivedita. But because she lives in Germany, um, even her name is wrong. She's she's addressed by the wrong name, so it's quite nice that nobody likes, uh, nobody knows how to pronounce the title of my book. So is it identity or identity or identity? And and so it's kind of there's this kind of mirroring there. She doesn't know how to pronounce her own name. I did a feature for the German radio. Um, I think last year, the year before, where um, somebody tried to teach me how to pronounce my own name. So Mitra is a Bengali name, and I talked to a Bengali guy, and he tried to teach me how to pronounce my own name. And, and he said, no, your name is not Mitra, it's Mitra. And he said, Mitra. And he said, no, no, that's wrong. It's pronounced Mitra. And I couldn't even hear the difference. I mean, I could hear the difference, but I couldn't reproduce the sound. And, and it goes on for ages. Mitra, no, no, that's wrong, Mitra. And it's very funny. 
and that has political reasons. So when when my father came to Germany, he had to a translate them. It's a different script, so he had to translate from the Devanagari script into into our our. <laughs> Is it? No, it's not that. What are our lat- letters? They're not Arabic. What are they? They're Latin. Latin. Latin and uh, in, into a Latin. So and and. So I've got quite different ways of spelling my name in different documents. So sometimes in TH, sometimes without, because people didn't know that TH is very usual in, in, in Bengali. And so, so there's a lot of politics, even in naming. And so I decided on all these names, but they're all Hindu names. So this is, this is also another, which is what I'm going to address in the next book. So the, the, the problems between Hindus and Muslims in India, and which is playing out on the world stage. And how do you, because my, my wife, she's from Iran. So my kids, they have Iranian first names and Danish last names. Because when they were, when my wife came to Denmark, there was so much racism that it was hard to get a job if you didn't have a Danish last name. So yep. we decided to give them Persian first names and Danish last names. And they're very flexible with their naming. My, my kids, they, they really don't mind what is the original way of, of, uh, of saying in some circles it's very important to pronounce it correctly and and others they don't really care and they just put it the Danish way. Well, I think Nivedita wouldn't care if she had any access to that. So if she had had two cultures, if she'd grown up with access to both or three cultures in her case, she wouldn't care, it would be fine. But because she always had to kind of get rid of one part of herself and, and try to be as German as possible but never be German enough. So that's why she cares, because obviously um, everybody has nicknames. Everybody wants to wants to change their names. Um, but if you haven't got it, so if you, if you have never had the chance of, of, of knowing what does my name sound like, really, then it's a problem. As soon as she has it, she can let go of it. So, but it, it's obvious that she has been, to a certain extent, shaped by these theories. They're enabling her to become a kind of public intellectual in her own right and in her own, her, her own way. They've created and um, they've helped her become herself to, to, to a certain extent. Wouldn't you say that? Um, well, yeah, they gave her a language to talk about aspects of herself that she couldn't talk about. I don't think that race is the only thing in Ibidita's life, but at that no. time in her life, because she, she couldn't deal with that before. So at that time in her life, it's the main aspect. And probably in 10 or 20 years time, it will be one aspect of her, but not the only one that's in the foreground. So, but at that time, because it was always denied to her, that's the main thing. And she needed a language because if you haven't got a language, you can't com- we can communicate with ourselves, but then it comes, comes a kind of circle in our brain. And after a while we stop communicating, we stop thinking about things. So um, she needs a language, but this language also prefigures what she can think. So once we've got a language sort of thing that tells us this is right and this is wrong. And um, so we do with everything in life. So even when we talk about feminism, it's um, so it tells us, oh, um, that there, there's, there are two genders or whatever. So um, and that is we need this language and then we kind of need to also explode this language or make it bigger or make it more than just that. But so- that's the other thing. So she's got to have kind of clear concepts. To, to start off from, and, and, and then they can become more fuzzy. And in this, her relation to Sarasvati is, is very, very, it's, it's very important because she's, to a certain extent, she's the teacher that I would dream that everyone met when they were in university. Oh, yes. 
intellectually and morally superior and giving them the feeling that we can see everything from here. We can be strong together. And theories are kind of weapons. She even says that I gave you these, 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 uh, these, these, these weapons. But she's also exposed as a fraud. How's their relation? How would you describe what she means to Nivedita? Well, first of all, I think the relationship between mentor and mentee is always one that has to be disillusioned eventually. So usually it's not such a big disillusionment, but it has to, there has to be this moment when you outgrow your mentor. So this moment comes for Nivedita and Sharaswati in a very brutal way because she is outed, she's debunked as being white. And, and her being white wouldn't have been the problem, but she said, oh, I'm like you, I've lived what you live. So, so her, her skin is the kind of pro promise to her students. Um, and that's the problem in there, not the problem that she's white and she's teaching these kind of subjects. And so suddenly everything that they could believe, and, and also, I mean, just because you've got the same color of skin doesn't mean you have the same experience or just because you've got the same gender doesn't mean you've got the same experience. I can't speak for all women. I haven't asked all women for their opinion and they haven't given me written consent or anything. So, um, but because this is a kind of bonding moment. So suddenly the bonding moment between Shavasvati and Nivedita is a lie. And so Nivedita doesn't know what to do. And she she doesn't want to condemn Sharaswati outright, but she also feels incredibly betrayed. And so does everybody else in the book, by the way. Everybody feels incredibly hurt by what Sharaswati has done, but everybody feels differently hurt. It's not what she does is, is universal to everyone, but everyone comes with their own history, with their own bodies, with their own, with their own I don't know, resilience, hurts and everything. So they all arrive at the same point from different directions, so to speak. And everything is val valid. So it's not that you are crazy, what you're feeling is wrong. But it's also what Sharaswati is feeling is valid too. And so they've got to, and even if it were completely wrong or completely right or whatever, Sharaswati would still have to deal with what it does to other people. So the effect she has on other people doesn't matter whether you're objectively right or wrong. So you still got to deal with that and find a way of, of yeah. That's why the debunking is at the beginning of my book. I didn't want to end with the debunking, no. like, like um, the human stain by, by, by Philip Ross. So that is, very clearly the debunking is at the end and then that's kind of issy. And for me, it's the other way around. So for me, it's interesting what happens after the debunking? How do people go on living with each other afterwards? And what is necessary for forgiveness? So there is forgiveness in the book, but it doesn't just come like that. Oh, it doesn't matter. So there is also the hurt and the pain and the anger. You've got to go through all this to get to some kind of reconciliation. Reconciliation isn't something that um, people usually want reconciliation too early. And people say, oh, your book is so good. It's so so um, friendly and so um, reconciliatory. And, and I said, yes, but have you written the bit before that? <laughs> <laughs> this, is, yeah, this is also how it reads, that this is not the conclusion of the book. This is the premise. The dissolution is where the plot kind of, kind of starts. And what, what, why did you choose to put these ideas and theories into a novel. What was your motivation for making that that move, which works so brilliantly for you? Um, maybe, but maybe it was the other way around. Maybe I want to write a novel and I thought, what, what, that, that's not true. Um, it, loads and loads of reasons. So if, if I write about identity, identity politics, I didn't want to write 
a non-fiction text and say, this is the truth. This is the way you've got to see things. I want to have these different perspectives. I wanted to have different characters. And I wanted to have characters that could be understandable, even though they didn't have the same viewpoint. That was very important to me. I also, I, I think novels or stories do something to me and probably to most people um, that nonfiction books don't. I love, I've, I've written two nonfiction, well, two and a half, so I've written a long essay about Emily Bronte, is that fiction, nonfiction, I don't know. Um, so I've written three nonfiction books and, and one novel and I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of writing my next novel. And I do notice you can do certain things with literature that you can't do in another medium. And, and that was that was amazing. Also the way people reacted to the book. They reacted a lot more emotional and that was lovely. And quite a lot of people have written to me and said, oh, they feel seen in German literature for the first time, which is amazing. And on the other hand, it also breaks my heart because that says a lot about German literature, which is actually not true because German literature is changing radically in the last three or four years. But they, they were speaking about growing up and, and growing up as literature that didn't consider people as um, as worthy of being, being being told stories about. But the other thing is, I actually want to write a novel about being being mixed race. So I, I started writing a novel about that 25 years ago, and no publisher wanted it. As a, we have got we've already got an Indian author. We don't need another one. They, they didn't mean a German in author, they meant Arundhati Roy. Um, they meant she's translated into German. That is not a joke. So that was the way the German book market was back then. And it has changed. So we are not back there still. And um, so I want to write about being mixed race. And originally it was the story of Preeti and Nivedita. So um, the two cousins who were originally, they were friends. And um, it was their story and it didn't work out. So you can't write about identity because it's not a thing. So it's not a thing in the world that you can find it. So you go deeper and there's your identity. So I needed the kind of catalyst of this story of the Sharaswati story. And then the Rachel Dolezal case um, broke in America in 2015. Um, the, so the black um, activist and, and um, Don, uh, university Don, um, who was debunked as being white. And, and I thought, that's brilliant. I can take this story and um, transplant it to Germany. It will be a different story. I'm not going to tell Rachel Dolezal's story, but I'm going to use a similar story as a kind of catalyst to tell Nivedita's story. And then it was incredibly easy because she had something to push against and I needed that. And so for me, it's not a story about um, white facing or black facing or brown facing or whatever. It's not a story of cultural appropriation at all. For me, it's a story of being mixed race. And I needed that to tell that story. But there's another thing that you do in the book, which is that, that topics which are often dealt with for obvious reasons, with a lot of seriousness and with a lot of moralizing, you know, and it's very, if you start from a moral standpoint, it's very, very hard to get funny. You know, and, the, and and if you can't laugh at things, it's very difficult to approach people that you, that, that you don't know. And you liberate a lot of positions by simply making it a funny book, by, by making what is often, it's not only a funny book, but it's also a book that is that is funny. That's something that's taken very seriously, becomes a source of humor for you. Why did you do that? Um, 
because about the first time I, uh, people were talking about race was at university and that was very much with your head and, and logic and art uh, a very serious topic but the the second um the second instance that people were talking about race was in british comedy so um i grew up with british comedy i grew up with goodness gracious me for example and they took all these concepts and it was suddenly possible to talk about them and it was like you're sitting in the same boat and you're all laughing at this weird thing that's racism and and that was that was amazing and it was possible to say a lot more things that were incredibly difficult to talk about because you were doing it in that way obviously I didn't want to write comedy just comedy so so, so there was also a bit lacking so so I also want to write about the pain but but I wanted to to mix the two and um there's a Russian, I don't know which of the Russians, I, I always think it's Dostoevsky, it's probably a different one. Um, and, and he said, if you want to write about serious topics, you've got to write lightly about them, because then it's not melodrama, then you can go deeper into the character's psyche without it becoming unbelievable. And so that was also important. So because for Nivedita, this is existential. And eventually she will look back and say, well, yeah, it was existential, but but at that time it really is existential. It's about her whole concept of self, and and she she became a person by going to university and going into Sherasati seminars and suddenly being able to be visible. And she found a voice there, and suddenly she is in danger of losing this voice. And so it's a, it is a it's a real identity crisis for her. And um, I wanted people to feel that, but at the same time, not think, oh God, I also wanted them, because she also, she's also sometimes looking at herself and thinking, huh? why is this all so serious? And, and I think that's what we all do. So even when, when we're heartbroken, when, I don't know, a relationship breaks up and think, this is also quite absurd, isn't it? And we're heartbroken, so it's always both. You put a lot of intellectual positions uh, in play against each other and with each other that kind of drives the plot in a way that's very interesting. And and as a reader, you revise your own views all the way through. Well, is race the same as gender? Can you be transracial when you can be transgender? Do these identities apply universally or should they be? So, you know, you revise your own position throughout reading your book. Did you change your own views while reading the book? Writing the book, sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, yes and no. Uh, so every book I've written basically changed me. So um, uh, so the first book I wrote was about the vulva because we don't use the right word. Usually we say vagina when you, you mean the, the visible um, uh, genital. So, so researching that book changed me. The second book was about the way we talk about rape and um, that changed me. And, and so this book was also talking about identity and it was, yeah, it changed me, but in a way it made it possible for me also to speak about myself. This isn't an autobiographical novel, by the way. I'm not in my early 20s and I'm not a white professor who's, <laughs> who's posing as, as a PSC. So it's not autobiographical, but all the um, emotional, um, well, thoughts and and, and, and and doubts that went into it, they are 
thoughts and doubts I had or people I talked about. I, I talked to loads and loads of people. So whenever I was doing the book, so one part of research was reading a lot, but the, the other part of research was really talking to people about their experiences and and how they what they thought about their life in Germany and so on. And so um, in a way, the book gave me the permission to be also Indian, which is weird. So I've always, people ask me, so where do you come from? And they want me to say Indian. But at the same time, I always had the feeling I'm not allowed to say that because I'm not Indian enough. Like Nivedita is not Indian enough. And, and to say, but this being this kind of mixed identity is, is the post-migrational identity. So this is the diasporic identity that people have in the 21st century. This isn't unique. So, so it's not that, it's my failure of being Indian enough. It's this is what loads and loads of people feel like. This is being Indian in Germany in the 21st century. And, and that was amazing. So, so on that level, I, don't, I met so many people who, who really had very similar, not just, just people who are half Indian or whatever, but loads of people from, from different mixed backgrounds that said, I, I recognize so much of my own life in that. And that was um, that was very healing <laughs> in a way. Yeah, I had the feeling I was healing myself. <laughs> that sounds awful. No, no, no. I totally get what you're what you're what you're pointing. At. It's very interesting. It's not the same, but it's parallel in Denmark because we have these protests in Iran, and they've been going on for months. So you have an Iranian community of people coming together, and many were ashamed that they weren't sufficiently Iranian. Uh, and, and that they weren't supportive enough of their countrymen. Many felt they were becoming too Danish and people never felt exactly the same. It's always, you are too much this and you are too much that. So there was a lot of people coming apart. And because of what's going, been going on for the last half year, a lot of people are coming to us and say, this is how we are. This is the post-migrational identity. This is actually what we have in common. And I think that is also reflected in your book. Yeah, and there's a lot of shame in Nivedita. So she's ashamed that she doesn't speak Bengali. She's ashamed that she doesn't speak Polish. She's ashamed and as if it's her own fault. And, and so kind of realizing, no, that has a lot to do with the way with history. So I'm not the only one. This is structural, is kind of liberating. Then she can make her own decisions. And yeah, Iraq, yeah, that is basically um. The, the the main thing that I've been thinking about in the last I don't know God half years yeah there's a, I think it's Sarasvati that makes the point in the book that all these theories are coming from America that that you import that we import I should say we in Denmark as well import a lot of theories about um, about gender about race about ethnicity about colonialism colonialism is really weird because they have a totally different colonial history than we do in in in, in in Europe. What do you think that's done to our, our discourse that we've imported American ideas and theories? Um, but it's not just Americans, it's also British uh, so, yeah. uh, in Germany. I, I'm not 100% sure about Denmark, so please correct me. Sure. Um, uh, well, first of all, the language is different. And we have got, uh, we, we think we're talking about the same things. So, exactly. for example, if you say POC, um, you think we're talking people of color, but that very clear, we all know what we're talking about. But in Germany, POC also means people from Turkish descent or, or people that so kind of the children of the Gastarbeiter, so who who, um, who from Southern Europe who came here to work. And because it's not about the color of your skin, it's about social position. 
And it's really weird in America. They think, but these people are white and they don't understand it. So I've been on podiums when the American activists said there are not enough POCs on the podium. And they're going, they're all POC, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and that is even in Britain. They, they, they look at Turkish people and think, but these are white. Which It's also because quite a lot of Turkish people in Britain for a long time, now it's starting to change a bit, they, they are from a different class. So um, so most of the Turkish people who came to Germany were really from Anatolia, from the villages who came here. And and so and, and they have a different history. So they're also um, usually even the second generation is still fighting with other things. So there's a lot of class in there. So class is the invisible thing in my book. It's like the, the elephant in the room because I thought a lot about class. So I'm um, describing the, the, the way the, the clothes that people wear. So for example, Simon, Nibidita's boyfriend, he's definitely got come from a different background, from different family class-wise. And Oluchi and, and Nibidita always think they bond because, because they're both uh, not white, so it's a Nibidita's POC and Oluchi's black, but actually they're also bonding because they're coming from the same class background. So their mums have got the same job and they're both social workers. They've even nearly got the same name. So one's called Brigitte, the other's Birgit. So um, there's a lot, they've got a lot in common on a different level as well, but they're not talking about class. So they're only talking about race, but class does play a big role. And also race is very often class. So people think, oh, because you're Brown, you're poor. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember Ohan Pamuk, he said once that that the higher you came up in the social classes in Turkey, the more Western you became. And if you then were against the upper classes, then you were against the West. And that was kind of developing the expression from the different social classes. So when people came to Turkey, they thought, well, those in the working class, they're the real authentic expression of, of, of the Turks, but that they were all yeah, shaped by by their social class as well, which is seen in your book as well. Yeah, and also what is authentic? So that is that is so uh, because um, Nivedita goes out with this idea of oh, people in India they're they're authentic, they're discriminated against, and and so so you're good when you're discriminated against, which is also. No, it doesn't make you a better person. It just makes you discriminated against. You've got to fight for certain things. And um, and this is also kind of, oh, yeah, we've also got a responsibility. How do we treat people? How do also, yeah, Sharasaki has done something that I don't agree with, but am I allowed to dehumanize her for that? Or do I have to now at this, in this certain moment in time, it's like a time bubble because at the end of the book, Things change or shout at you again, again. But in this bubble, suddenly Nibidita has got a lot of power, but she's been used to being the one without the power. So she doesn't know how to how to deal with that power. And she doesn't want to misuse it, but she doesn't know how to use it. She's basically, oh, where are we doing it? And there's another point here, which is it's it's I think it is to a certain extent obvious, but it's rarely made explicit. Namely, that in certain circles, that being non-white is a form of capital. That Absolutely. that and and that and that is a very hard it's very hard to talk about because overall in society in general being white is is a capital but there are circles where this is where this is not a capital where it's a capital to be non-white can you explain these differences or elaborate on them well the idea that we were so well, I'm shocked by Sharaswati wanting not not wanting to be white, or Rachel Dolezal not wanting to be white. Um, it's not just she's doing something that she isn't allowed to. It's also because it's against the 
in inverted commas, natural order of things. Obviously, people want to be white. So there are loads of novels about passing in America. It's, it's all genre, own genre. Loads of novels about passing, always from black to white, or from, from, from I don't know, um, Native American to white. So trying to survive, trying to escape poverty, trying to escape slavery, slavery, whatever. Um, but there have always been people who went the other way. And we don't know about these. And people really thought she must be crazy if she doesn't want to be white. And I wanted to say, but that people want to be black or brown, that says something about that we've done something right, that we actually we have done something in our fights for social justice. Um, we have changed things and, and things are never simultaneous. So um, in, in certain cultural discourses and certain political discourses, not being white has become a, a currency, a political, a social currency. And um, obviously, if you want to get a flat, if you want to rent a flat, it's <laughs> really not. If you want to get a job, really it isn't. So um, yeah, it's, it's never straightforward. But I think you should also look at our successes and, and why why is that and and one of the reasons is that um so when when um racists were, 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 were so called the, the new the, the our the modern idea of racists and um were invented um they they had this uh, they had to be because because before um people identified with their country or with their language they didn't identify with the color of their skin um and and so to speak uh, with the enlightenment with trans trans um atlantic slave trade they had to explain why one set of people was enslaving another set and they did that also with race theory you also need biology for race theory you also need uh, an idea about biology genetics and all this to to kind of justify race theory and they said okay this is the white race and this is the black race and the black race is inferior so we have to um, and also the brown races. Um, so we have to colonize them or enslave them to help them civilize. But they'll never, ever, ever manage it. But, but we have to do this. This is white man's burden to civilize. And so they invented the white race. Um, and it, it equaled white superiority. And, and it, there was no other definition of it. And then white became the norm, became invisible. And because it was invisible, we didn't think about it. And there was a lot of resistance. So black people, brown people, they fought for freedom. They fought for, um, and so they fought to be recognized as human beings. So black is beautiful, black power, um, black lives matter. All these, um, these were, these are, um, the, the, this is, part of a fight against them. So we equal being black also with the revolutionist resistance and all this. And we haven't done this to being white. So whiteness is for us are still just white supremacy. So we can't even see white as human. And I think before we can get rid of the concept of races completely, we've got to humanize them all. So we also look, got to look at whiteness. And this is what, what Chattaswati is teaching. So we got to look at whiteness because it's a bit like with men and women. So you can't just liberate women. Women are human beings and men are just toxic masculinity, which is, doesn't work. So, <laughs> and who will those brilliant women share the world with if men do have to put them on an island and just mate once a year? I don't know. <laughs> But when when I think she's she's a she's a very seducing intellectual Sarasvati. She's very good at defending, and I love the way she she uses her own theory to defend herself afterwards and attack her. 
her, her original theory. But in theory, I follow her, but I have a hard time watching how it should play out in real life. How you should, uh, because, you know, um, being white is also an identity with contrast. You know, when we think of you, think of everything but white. If I do that, then I'm part of uh, a lot of communities. But as soon as I identify as white, then I have the, the contrast. Do you see the, my dilemma? Uh, absolutely. There are also loads of other problems with Sharasvati. I mean, um, she um, she really is so transgressive with Nivedita. So she invites her to move into a flat for three weeks. Yeah. And I, I spoke to um, so a, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, she is um, actually Nivedita is called after. So Nivedita Prasant, she is a professor at um, a university in, in, in Berlin. And um, so she said, she wasn't so shocked that Sharaswati was posing as, as brown. She was shocked the way she treated her students. It's a kind of, I mean, I, I was going very much to the to the to the right of the border, so they're not having sex. There, there's no well, 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 the good kind of no, no, not definitely not, not from, from Sharaswati, but on all other limits, on all other levels, she is transgressing all the borders. And um this is actually. Is it abusive? I don't know, but it, it is. She is really towing the line here, and so in loads of in loads of ways, she is. We are talking about a, a white privilege or whatever in there because we haven't got a language for all these other things. So, so there are loads of things that are really difficult about her, and she isn't doing. So she knows best what it's what is good for you. So she wants to save her students. So wow, this is. On the other hand, you need someone like her who's so narcissistic and who who's so much into her own being as a professor and who loves herself in this role so much to put that much energy into it. So I found very very nice professors, but they never put so much energy into me. No, and that I think that's kind of a, the universal part of the story is that. This is what mentors and mentees are always like. You have to, you know, this is how you make intellectual schools, is that you have to really radicalize some theory, put a lot of passion into them. And that can often be a, a little um, abusive. But to, to me, this is also a part of something that goes all the way back to Plato that you're unfolding. Absolutely, yeah. And Socrates, and yeah, that's why he had to, and that was what he was accused of, so. Yeah, it, Exactly of corrupting the views. <laughs> exactly that, but that's that's why that's why they killed him. Uh, originally, so I thought I thought she was almost like a modern Socrates. Uh, <laughs> she would love that absolutely. <laughs> she would absolutely agree with you. <laughs> There's another point in your book which I think is interesting: is that there are these two tracks that that you find follow the social media, and then you follow what's going on in in the fictitious real world. So these two tracks are separate but of course of course they're connected how did you construct these two um oh good question <laughs> very good question so first of all i i did ask people to donate tweets to my book i had this idea very early on for well for various reasons one of the reasons was that at that time i wasn't sure whether we'd be as um well, well, as excited or as upset about it in Germany as in America. So um, now I know absolutely we would be. But when I started writing the book, this was all we were all kind of relaxed. And, and I thought I, I uh, choose a title which is, um, well, exciting and, and sexy on the one hand, so tits and, and so something very boring and stale like identity politics. 
And when the book came out, about in the two years, uh, writing and, and going through all these um, stages until the book came out, by that time, nobody was interested in tits or sex. They were all interested in identity politics. That was the hottest meal on the menu suddenly. And that was amazing. So how quickly I changed around. So I was, I was asking people to find out, would you be upset about it? And, um, and, and I thought, oh, I'll ask a couple of people to donate tweets. That'll be interesting. Um, so I don't have to write them myself. Saved myself a lot of work. Didn't work out that way. So every tweet took me hours of writing emails, um, talking to people on the phone because they said, why should I tweet about something that hasn't happened? No, no, you don't have to tweet in the real Twitter. You've got to tweet in the fictional Twitter and the book. Yeah, but how can I log on to that? So, so it was because it wasn't there. Now it's obvious, but it wasn't there. It hadn't been done before. So I, it was really difficult to explain to everyone what they had to do. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So after, after the, the, the first people had done this, I could show people this, other people have tweeted this, and, and you can look at this. And for me, it was important that the tweets changed. So um, there's time involved. So, so there's this three weeks, because I did a lot of research in shitstorms, and shitstorms usually last three weeks. And after three weeks, they, they die down and people find either a different victim or they, um, well, there's something else happens. You can't be upset for longer than three weeks. So the big ones, the, the short ones are usually even shorter. So, but this is a big one. It usually lasts for three weeks. And then there's nine months later, that was also important to have this kind of, <clears throat> so what happens then? How do you look back at it then? And so I wanted the tweets to evolve. So at the beginning, everyone is just, how dare she? And then people are saying, oh yeah, but what does it mean? Let's talk about this. So um, the tweets, differentiate themselves out and so they they function as a kind of Greek choir and um that was and, and they're also kind of slightly interacting with the story so I, I had some people who said they were too old they didn't use well, not too old they didn't use Twitter it was really hard for them to read tweets they didn't get this I said you can leave them out the book works completely without the tweets just knowing people are upset on the internet that's it and it did and, and, and they were really, really, so they went to a lot of um, reading cycles, so book clubs and stuff. And um, and there were different people who, who really said, I, I can't read tweets. I don't know what to do with this. And I was surprised because I thought the level of theory might exclude certain readers. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the technology. Technology <laughs> excludes readers. And I had not expected that. I thought, yeah, sure everybody's on Twitter, less than 2% of all Germans are on Twitter. Twitter is not a mirror of the world. Um, yeah, but people on Twitter think they are. So, um, and, and so it was kind of, in the writing process, I, I was very clear about the three-week thing, and I was very clear there would be a coda. I did, it wasn't called coda then, nine months later. And I was very clear it would end with a terrorist, a racist terrorist attack. And the exorcism. So that was very clear to me. So the beginning and the end were very clear, and it was very clear that everybody would pay, basically come to the flat. So at some point, everybody would be in the flat. But I thought um, after the first chapter, everybody would be in the flat, and, and then they would work. And it didn't work out like that. So it took half the book basically for 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 well, in the middle of the book. Um, there's a big demonstration, and then and then the brother turns up, and. So writing the book also told me a lot of, about the structure. So I had a structure and then and then the, the book itself was kind of working against the structure. And I was incredibly grateful to that. And also 
people always say, oh, the characters told me how they wanted to be written. I always thought, yeah, yeah, sure. But, and, and you still have to put all the work in, but on the other hand, if you want to do it, to, to make a character do something that's not consistent with the character, it, it doesn't work. So the scene just doesn't work. So the characters do resist too. And, and some characters become more important. So Olucci was not very important at the beginning. She became more and more important because she is necessary for the book. And so loads of things also worked out because I, that's also why the book is so long. <laughs> and so um, there were loads of things necessary. But at the beginning, I, I, I made loads of diagrams. So I worked a lot with the structure beforehand and then I, I threw them all away and made no new diagrams. But the structure... So it's all woven, it's all interwoven, it's not this, it's about this. So, so you're always jumping in times and to keep a track of which timeline are we in here. And I wanted it to be interwoven. I wanted the reader to be kind of in or around Nivedita's head and the way memory works. So so um, and then this is happening, and this reminds her of yeah, this is what it was like. And I didn't want to say, I didn't want to tell the story chronologically. Um, but I wanted to have all the backstory in the book as scenes. The, the, the point of the book for many readers, and for me included, is that you leave a discourse that you know, that you're very familiar with, you know what your position is, you know what the other positions are, then you're in a new territory and you find that it's intellectually liberating and it's a pleasure to read. So, so that's the liberation of going into fiction. But then you make a little postscript in the end. Then there's a there, there's a part where, where there's almost a morale in the end. So why did you want to add that? Which postscript do you mean? Do you mean the time? I mean, I mean where you write here that um, that uh, our lives are together because we are all uh, existing together. Oh, oh, the, the last identity post. Uh, yeah, ex ex exactly. The last identity post, oh, which, um, which reads as kind of a moral of the book. Um. And that's interesting. No, that was for me very, I, I thought Nimidita can't just leave it. So she, because she is a blogger, so she has to kind of um, bind it up together in some way. So that's the way she would bind it up together at that point. So she can move on from there. So she has to, she has to have a standpoint because all of the books she is kind of floundering. So maybe she's right, of course she isn't right. And at the end she has to find a certain, a certain viewpoint, a certain standpoint, and and it is also a book about love because it starts with love politics. So first, um, first seminar is about love politics and it kind of ends with love politics, and so we we get Shabaswati's take on love politics at the beginning, and then Nivedita's take on love politics. And I didn't want I didn't want to say this is right, this is wrong, but I also didn't want to leave people hanging at the end of the book. So I wanted to give them something to hold on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my American editor, for example, she said, oh, in America, you've got to say who's right and who's wrong. Can you rewrite the ending? I said, no, I can't. <laughs> can you write an afterword to say who's right and who's wrong? And can you condemn Shavaswati? And And for me, it's this is what it's about. It's about the ambivalences. It's it's not, and it doesn't matter who's right, who's wrong in the end. We still got to deal with what's happening, regardless. One 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 last question. I, I, what I liked about it is that I felt that you took something that we identify as very current, and then reading through the book, well, this is also just classical literature. You have the Greek choir here. 
you have the Socrates figure here. You you have uh, this is and for me that was like a Bildungsroman culminating. Uh, it's in, absolutely, it's a Bildungsroman. It's also a campus novel which is not playing on campus. It's it's lots of things. Um, well. Um, Scarlett Thomas, she's a she's in a British uh, novelist, and she said she likes to put very current media in her novels that she knows won't be used in a couple of years. So I'm sure nobody will be on Twitter in five. I don't know. I'm pretty sure nobody will be on Twitter in five years. So, so I consciously chose Twitter because it kind of um, positions or anchors it in a certain time. The, but but like like Sherlock Holmes, you wouldn't say, oh, I can't read Sherlock Holmes because they're using pony traps and they're using their the, the gas lanterns. So, so this isn't current. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to have this feel and this taste of a certain time, a certain period. And also the political discussions are grounded in that time. But I also wanted it to be universal because it is about the characters in the end. It's not just about the intellectual exercise. It's about the characters. And I do hope... And, and I don't know, I'll find out that in 10 years time, we or I can revisit the book and still enjoy it, even though we've progressed, hopefully progressed in our political discourse. But it will still be a book about a, a certain time and what it was about in a certain time, but also about how people felt and 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 obviously about being mixed race, which is on some level universal, even though it's on, on loads of levels, it isn't. Yeah, and I can from my point of view, I had the relief that what you feel is quite unique about the times that you live in, that we share experiences with people from hundreds and hundreds of years before, and we've been interpreting them for for hundreds and hundreds of years. But that's that's how I felt uh, in the. It's lovely. I want to. I want you. <laughs> I want to get the quote on my next novel. <laughs> that is lovely. No, but that that's what I came away with, and I think you know all these discussions about race and gender and class, they are so important for our age. And it's important that we can enter them through a kind of back door where we meet each other on stage in a new way. And that's what literature can, can, can do to us. One last question. After you published the book, you must have received a lot of response from all different kinds. What have, what have, you, what have you learned after from the response that you get from, from people? I think it was the same with every book I've written. So there was a lot of interaction and it is amazing. So first of all, with my first book, I noticed people really read, really engage with any kind of literature, so nonfiction, fiction, and um, it they, they read it in the hope that it will change their lives, just like I read literature. I hope every book will kind of save my soul or do something to me and I'll be a different person afterwards. That's why I've, my last book is about the book that changed me a lot and then about the reading has been how reading changes you so this is the book about Emily Bronte <laughs> and um uh, so that was amazing how important it is for people so it's we want to find ourselves in the written world the the written word gives us the feeling of being seen and all this this is amazing um and so with every book, I thought, oh, I should have written the book. Then I should have done all the lectures and readings and talks. And then I should write the book again, <laughs> in a way. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy. I don't, I don't want to rewrite identity. I love, I love that it is there as it is in the world. Um, but yeah, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how 
deep all these feelings go with people. So I, when I was writing, it was really kind of it, it just me and and no, it, it really got people on a very personal level for a book that is about it, it's also a novel of ideas. So, but it's not just a novel of ideas, and it, it got people at their at their feeling of of, of self, and that was. I, I I can't can I hope to ever do another to ever write another novel that does that so I don't know um, and that was that was very moving so and the book has been I, I, I've written a, a theatre I've written a, dra- a play um, and this has been on stage and loads of people have done stuff so it's it's been um, in different towns in Germany and in Austria they've just had the premiere in Austria. Um, yesterday I think so people have interacted with it on loads of levels and that is that is quite amazing and just a couple of weeks ago there was this this woman being debunked in America and as being white posing as POC as being white and her name is, is Shadaswati which is amazing yeah, yeah you can google it I think her first name is Rachel and her second name is Shadaswati which is even funnier so it's like Rachel Dolezal and my Shadaswati and um, so when the book came out, nobody, had, well, apart from people who heard about Rachel Dolezal, but nobody heard about that. And then so many people were debunked. And, and so this is kind of like a constant theme. So obviously people do want to change who they are or what they're perceived as in this life. And, and being brown or being black is one thing that is desirable for quite a big number of people and that was interesting and then people wanted me to comment on Charisati and on the other on the real Charisati and I thought I can't do that because she's a real person and there's a tragic story behind that so her mum went to the press and said no my daughter is really white and I would never do that about my child whatever my child did I would talk to him or her personally I would never go to the press and say no she's lying <laughs> I've got an awful child, by the way. <laughs> horrible. Well, thank you for your t- thank you for your t- thank you for your time, and especially thank you for your book. It's been such a pleasure to read it, and it's discussed it in my family, and I think it will be discussed a lot of places, and it opens our minds to what is important in our time. So, thank you for your time and for your book. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll be in Denmark in June. And it's really because my first book, the first translation of my first book was into Danish. So Denmark is really kind of very near to my heart. So the Danish has always been so good to my books. <laughs> well, you should always feel free to come by. If you want to, we can see each other here in the newspaper whenever, if, when you come to Denmark. Thank you. Det var så min samtale med Mitu Sanyal, og jeg vil gentage, at romanen Identity i 2022 blev oversat til dansk og udgivet på forladet Strorup og K. Det er en særdeles anbefalelsesværdig læser. I næste uge, der taler jeg med Claire Ainsley, som for et par år siden udgav en bog, som var en grundlæggende undersøgelse af holdninger og politiske interesser, og værdier i den britiske arbejderklasse. Bogen hed The New Working Class. Dens grundtese er, at der er en meget stærk klassebevidsthed i England, og man ikke kan vinde magten, hvis ikke man vinder The Hearts of Minds of the New Working Class. Men deraf skal man ikke slutte, at det er en arbejderklasse, som er klar på klassekamp. Det er klassebevidsthed uden klassekamp. 
Claire Ainsley har efter hun udgav bogen i to år arbejdet som politikudviklingsleder under Kier Starmer, den nuværende leder for Labour. Det er et job, hun opsag for kun en 3-4 måneder siden. Og det vil sige, at hun ved også alt om, hvad den mand, der lige nu står til at blive Storbritanniens næste premierminister, står for, hvad der er hans klassebevidsthed, hvad der er hans klassepolitik, og hvorfor han ikke tror på klassekampen, men hvorfor hun alligevel mener, at vi skal stole på ham i både den sociale retfærdighedskamp og i den grønne omstilling. Det er altså i næste uge. Den her samtale var klippet og produceret af vores gode ven, Mads Adam Wiener. Mit navn er Rune Lykkeberg. Tak for, at I lyttede med.